Hello and welcome to the Region Agri podcast, the go-to place to hear everything about regenerative agriculture. Region Agri is an initiative supporting farms, agribusinesses and the supply chain in their transition to regenerative approaches. We do this globally with the aim of securing the health of the land and the wealth of those who live on it. For more information about our initiative and to find out how we can help you with your regenerative journey, visit regionagri.org. I'm your host, Rose Riley, and once again, I'm excited to bring you the latest developments on the global phenomenon that is regenerative agriculture. For this episode, we're exploring the development of regenerative cotton supply chains, connecting the crop in the field to fashion on the hangers. I'm joined today by Liz Hirschfield, Head of Sustainability at J. Crew and Madewell. Both brands have set a goal to use 100% sustainably sourced cotton by 2025, and regeneratively grown cotton is key to meeting this target. We're also joined by Brent Crossland, founder of Five Lock Cotton. Brent is a sustainable cotton strategist who helps connect brands with the cotton industry. He works to navigate the complex supply chain to help brands trace the cotton used in their fabrics back to the seed and gathers data to evidence sustainable practices at every step. So thank you for joining me today, Liz and Brent, and let's get started. Thank you, Rose. Uh, happy to be here as well. Yeah, same here. Glad to, glad to be taking part of this. Great. So I thought we could start off just by setting the scene for the listeners a little bit about the shift towards regenerative cotton. So Brent, I wanted to initially ask you if you could explain to us what the key steps are in getting cotton from crop to to fabric to field in a regenerative supply chain. And tell us a little bit about the growers that you're working with, how many there are, where they're based and so on. Yeah, certainly be glad to do that. So regenerative cotton farming is is really not necessarily anything new. It's going back many years, uh, probably the way we should have been farming and should be farming, not just cotton, but all crops. But it's it's gotten a renaissance and a resurgence, especially with our understanding now of climate change, carbon sequestration, and the need to do something uh, along that regard. So regarding cotton, I mean, it you know, we're starting with the program that we're working with together here. We're starting, obviously, at, at the beginnings. And I think the most important thing on any step into regenerative farming is making sure that you leave the ground covered. So we're really focused, first and foremost, on, on covering the ground and starting there. I'll get into more of that later, but that's really the base. Once you start doing that, other things fall together. For the supply chain in this program, we start, obviously, with farmers that we know and understand have a a strong desire to begin this journey. And so we look at the farms and the farmers that that are committed, and then we start looking at their their regions and how they differ and what might fit into their program from a cotton cultivation standpoint and cotton production standpoint. And then we start putting in things that would work and uh, knowing it's a multi-year program. And then we take that and bring that cotton fully traceable into the supply chain, which is another major undertaking that Liz will probably get into as well, and then bring it all the way into to J. Crew Madewell consumers and uh, understanding what they're getting. That's it in a nutshell. Great, thank you. And Liz, from your perspective, kind of taking it in the opposite direction, do you think that your customers make the connection between the fashion brand and, and what's happening in the supply chain, and starting with the farming practices for the cotton? I do. I, I think in the past few years, three to five years, certainly how the product comes to life has really been in the spotlight. Who's making the product? The customers are really interested in it. Um, you know, how are those workers treated? Like, what is the impact on the environment? All of that. So I definitely think the customer is becoming far more like educated and savvy around that and does care for sure. Brilliant. 
And how are you seeing fashion trends change over the last decade? Look, I think trends are trends in fashion, right? We go through cyclical things, whether it's like, you know, during the pandemic, everyone was wearing sweats and knits and, you know, denim is always a core of everyone's, you know, outfit and trends will come and go. But I think the reality is that cotton is a huge part of the apparel industry and everyone wears, has a piece, many pieces of clothing that contain cotton. And it is a, you know, a big impact on soil health and thus the environment. So it's something really important that we pay attention to in terms of how it's farmed. Brilliant. And so for J. Crew and Madewell, how important is it to you to make the claim that you're using regeneratively farmed cotton? You know, it's really important for us to talk about that, you know, we believe in this initiative and we just believe in regenerative just in general across cotton and across anything that's farmed, really. Um, you know, we've done a lot of work and we worked really closely with Brent on you know, how we were going to approach sustainable farming practices. And we really came up with um, the fact that regenerative was just really scalable and therefore it can make a much larger impact than something that is not, right? Um, so we think it's really important to be able to talk about that story um, with our customer and to educate them on what regenerative is, because it is kind of fairly new in the market. So it is something that's just starting to really gain steam. Brilliant. And does this set you apart from other fashion brands or do you think this is something that's going on across the board? I think for sure we've been an early adopter and, you know, the program that we've put together um, with Brent and U.S. Farmers is really innovative and something that no one else is doing. They're certainly getting a, a lot of traction and and talk about regenerative in the industry and you're starting to see mills like show regenerative product. So I think, you know, at some point like it will be much more um, widely seen, accepted by brands. I think brands are just starting to figure out how to get into it. Yeah. So I do think we are kind of leading the space right now. And what's driving that? Is that coming from, from your customer base or is that something that you as a brand have, t- have decided to, to lead on? It was really a decision that we made when we really were, you know, building out our sustainability strategy. We wanted to really think about what our biggest impact was on the environment. And when we thought about all of the product that we ca- we we manufacture and bring to life that comes from a farm and, you know, 70% of our material footprint is cotton-based. So it was really easy for us to say, you know what, we should focus on soil health uh, because that is such a huge impact to climate change. And how can we create an ecosystem where there's just more sustainable farmers and therefore creating a positive impact. So we really did take the approach of just really deciding how we could make the most positive impact while still running our business and providing our customers with the product that they want um, and doing it in a responsible way. So it, it really was that. And of course, our customers are always very interested in sustainability and what's going on in the industry. Uh, but it certainly was something that we decided um, we thought was important based on our material footprint. Yeah. yeah. And Rose, if I could add on to that, I, I really believe that, well, I, I'm sure that the end-use consumer is becoming more and more and more aware of not only sustainable, but getting into, into regenerative. And I think a lot of that's been driven by documentaries such as Kiss the Ground and, and The Biggest yeah. Little Farm. I'm really amazed personally at, at people that at a backyard barbecue or whatever it may be, a venue where they have these discussions where a few years ago, they had no idea what that was. They couldn't even possibly give you a definition for organic. It was something they knew they wanted, but they didn't know what it was. But, but they're beginning to understand regenerative. And I really think that's, that's making a difference. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something we've talked about in past podcasts as well, that um, the name is quite helpful um, because it's quite clear to people fairly, you know, straight away what it is and what it's doing. Um, and it is amazing to see how how much across different types of agricultural produce that people are are starting to, to pick it up, which is really encouraging. Yeah, I agree. Um, I really agree. And I think, I, you know, for both Madewell and J. Crew, it is just, you know, something that's really important to our customer base, right? That we're doing the right thing by the environment, as well as providing amazing product, right? You can't, it goes hand in hand. And I think too, J. Crew, Madewell are strong supporters as well of, of textile exchange. I don't want to leave them out. I, I think textile exchange is really putting a focus on this now with their climate initiatives, Climate Plus, and uh, it fits right in. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, a question for both of you, really, but how difficult is it for you at, at present to find out the origin of the cotton in the fabric that you're sourcing? Um, and what's, what's, what's that process look like at the, at the moment? Look, the cotton supply chain is very complicated, um, and we've been deep in work on transparency across the board. You know, clearly... This initiative um, that we've adopted for Madewell and J. Crew around supporting farmers in their transition to in regenerative allows us to know exactly where the cotton is coming from, right? And so not only is it sustainable, we also know where the cotton is coming from. So it kind of like serves two purposes, you know, and outside of that, we've learned so much about cotton and farming and how to approach that traceability aspect of our supply chain um, that we are making really great headway, but it's certainly, you know, is complicated if you're not deep in and understanding where the cotton's coming from. Yeah, it's, it's a major step change for the supply chain. It's not something that's used to, that's been done until recently. So it's, it's a learning curve for everyone involved, for sure. And do you anticipate that other fashion brands are going to follow suit and, and what are their challenges going to be when they try to do so? I mean, we hope so. You know, we, we are doing this, of course, because, you know, first and foremost, we wanted to be sure that we were thoughtful about our impact on the environment, but we also want to inspire other brands and retailers to join because we're only going to make the biggest impact as a collective, right? And so for us talking about it, getting the word out, we would love partners in this initiative to support farmers in the U.S., um, we think it's a great initiative. And I think if we could get more brands on board with it, it'd be really exciting. And you know, hopefully for them, that makes it easier um, so that they they actually have, like, we've done all the legwork, we've figured it out. So just like, come join us is kind of, you know, come join Madewell and J. Crew on our journey is something that we're hopeful for. Yeah. And you, I forgot to answer your question earlier, Rose, in that regard, sort of, you asked about how many farmers are in the program. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so currently we have, I think at last count about 27 farmers uh, from in the program currently that goes back to the pilot program from last year's crop. As you probably know, in the U S we're just now starting the new crop and yep. we're actively recruiting as we speak. But so those 27 farmers that are currently involved and in, in enrolled, they, they go across the country. Basically we've got farmers in California. We have some in New Mexico, Texas, uh, Louisiana, and Alabama that we're recruiting. And uh, so we're open, though. We're, we're looking even at further into the southeast. And to Liz's point, it, you know, it, it takes is, you know, more brands to assist with this to try to expand the reach. Do you have a sense of what size of hectareage that they're covering, those 27 farms? Because, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here on the south coast of England talking to you where a farm is, is generally quite a small thing. But in America, I know they can be quite big. Oh, yeah. Great question. I, I haven't actually added up the acres. We tend to think in uh, terms of numbers of farms and bales, but I would estimate, you know, on the average, the farmers that we're probably working with are going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 
I'm just throwing a guess out here between 1,500 to 2,000 acres at least on average of cotton. Now these yep. farms as well farm other other crops, but yep. that's just a, a very swag <laughs> number there. But it, it gives you something to probably to think about. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's really useful context. And so thinking a little bit more then about the farmers and how they are actually kind of adapting to taking on the regenerative methods, what are the key kind of sustainability challenges that that they're facing? Uh, and I realise that's going to vary because you've got people across you know, a very broad geography, but it'd be really interesting to know what, what are the key sustainability challenges associated with growing cotton? That's a great question. And and by geography, there are individual challenges or regionality challenges, even challenges by a certain community or, or county. But in general, the, the biggest challenge is, is changing a culture. And what I mean by culture, not just not necessarily a social culture, but a, a, a practice. Uh, the agronomic practices have to change. And the big challenge is to jump into this if you're going from, quote, conventional cotton farming is there is much like organic, there's going to be more equipment invest, investment, changes in the way you do things, but probably as much or more than anything, there can be yield drag, there can be quality drag until you get things in balance. Yep. So it, it takes a while to get there when you start changing these practices and it starts, you know, at ground preparation prior, prior to planting. If you've never done cover crops before, you have to start months and months ahead of planting and you have to find the right cover crop that's going to fit your area to where it, it grows, number one, and produces biomass. And number two, it's going to die <laughs> in time for you to plant that cotton into it. So it's not just taking all the moisture away. So these are you know, nuances that are, that are big challenges. Now, once they get going and they're getting, you know, get into a system where you get used to it, it gets much and much easier the further you go. And I think that's what I'm so happy about with, with uh, J. Crew and Madewell in this program is they're not looking at one and done. They realize this is a multi-year program of support uh, that has to take place. Yeah, absolutely. And we always talk about regenerative as a, as a journey rather than a, as a destination. Um, sure. So it's great to see see brands like J Crew and Madewell supporting farms through that through that process. So what are the what are the key methods that you're seeing the farmers that you're working with implementing? You've, you've spoken about cover crops, obviously. But what, what are some of the other regenerative methods that they're starting to introduce on their land? Well, it's yeah, it's cover cropping starting there first, but then it it it's you know it evolves into what other crops can be put in here, not just the cover crops, but cropping rotations. And when you say cover crop, that's not to imply that it's just something you put out there and you make nothing off of it as well. Because if you're really regenerative, nothing goes to waste. And so that crop that you're covering with, you either get grain benefit off of it or you get grazing benefit off of it. It's, it's thinking about the cover crop, but then that breeds into what type of rotation can I put in here now? What other crops fit my area now that I'm doing this that, that I can actually put in? But then, of course, it's, it's um, changing cultivation or tillage practices, going from maybe conventional tillage to uh, hopefully minimum till and, and eventually no till. And so that, as you can imagine, involves a lot of very, very uh, Big, big changes as far as equipment and the way you time it in your, uh, in your cropping year. Not to mention, you know, then go and, and the whole purpose is, is reducing other inputs like 
crop protection products, meaning pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, those sort of things, and eliminating it eventually. Yeah, absolutely. And presumably irrigation as well, trying to kind of minimize the need for irrigation. Oh, very, that's a very good question. I, <laughs> I love to talk about that because when we think about water and cropping, we always immediately go to irrigation, which that's, that's big. You definitely can make a huge difference on efficiency and savings and and being sustainable when you look at your irrigation practices. But what we don't think about a lot of times is just using the rainfall to more benefit. And obviously, when you're doing the right things with cover cropping and soil health, you're going to get much more efficiency and benefit out of, you know, the rainfall that God gave you. It's not even just that. It's other things. Uh, I could get into a lot of detail I want, but, but things like furrow diking, and things like that, whatever you can do to maximize that rain that comes out of the sky. And, and it, it can make a huge difference. And people don't realize that. Absolutely. Thank you. And so what is it really then? I mean, we've talked about some of this, but what is it really that is attractive to your cotton growers about the regenerative approach as opposed to some of the other approaches that are out there at the moment? I, I really like that question, too, because it, when you first talk to them about it, you know, they're, they're consumers as well. So going back to what we said earlier, they understand what regenerative means, probably more so than anybody, but they also know that at the core of it, it's about efficiency. And if you can get into this program and do more with less, that's a big deal. I, I call them all farmer CEOs and it's about business, whether you're you know, into regenerative from a, almost like a religious standpoint or not, it's really about being efficient and doing more with, with less. And so when you really start beginning to talk about that with them and, and letting them know that they've got support through an initiative like this to, to be able to confidently step off the curve, they get excited because they know eventually, eventually they're going to not need so much synthetic fertilizer, if any at all. Same way with the other crop protection products, the same way with their water bills going down, their energy bills going down. Uh, and all of us know now as consumers of anything and people living in, in uh, this day and time, we, we got to be more efficient just to survive. So without being preachy, that's, that's a big deal for them. I also kind of to add to that, and Brent, you and I have spoken about this, is just um, I think it, it's more about what you can do versus what you can't do. Like there's not a ton of restrictions, which I think generally there tends to be in sustainable farming practices. This is more about, as Brent said, like, changing kind of how you operate, changing how your approach to actually get you to a place where you don't need to do some of the things that are actually bad for the environment um, versus being like, you have to stop doing X, Y, Z right now. And I think that that feels really scalable and doable and not as intimidating for the farmers. Oh, yeah. Very good point. Good point. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's not, it's more about what you can and should do rather than what you can't and mustn't do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's quite pragmatic really, isn't it? At its core. Yeah. Brilliant. So Liz, what are the benefits for yourself at um, J.Crew and Madewell for working with and somebody like Brent and an organization like Five Lock to help you kind of connect the dots between yourself and the farmer? You know, I think, you know, working with Brent and we also, as Brent mentioned, work with Textile Exchange um, and it's twofold, but with Brent, it's really, you know, he has, actually has a farming background. And so he really understands what the farmer's needs are, which is super helpful to us. And is also helpful in us like finding the right partners, right. Um, that are open to it, that want to explore it, that, you know, understand what it is that we're trying to do. And so that's super helpful. I think from a knowledge-based perspective, just really deeply understanding the certification, 
And then, you know, with Textile Exchange, you know, working with them just on validating and vetting all the third-party certifications to be sure that we have, like, that body, like, taken care of. So it's not just we're saying it, we actually are standing behind everything. Um, but working with Brent has really been, you know, really, really instrumental in us kind of bringing this program to life. And in terms of the the actual kind of work in progress and the, the, the projects that you're working on at the moment together and with, with us as, as Region Agri, what are the, what's the kind of current status of, of the regenerative cotton program um, projects? You talked, Brent, a little bit about last year being a pilot and so on. So what, what's been achieved really so far and what's happening in 2020? Oh, great, great question. We're, so where we are right now, the ones from the old crop, those farmers have applied, they're in transition and they're in the, the space now where they need to be verified and, uh, and have the, uh, the region agri field folks come in. Yeah, so where we are right now is we're, we're just getting started. We, like I mentioned, we have 27 farmers that are in, cert, or they're in transition to certification from last year's crop. And that's going to be, I think it was a little over, you know, what was it, Liz, over a thousand bales, something yeah. like that yeah. in total, yeah. which is, that's, that's a substantial amount, but certainly we want to move into, into more acreage and, and more farmers from that. So, so right now we we've got several that we're visiting with to try to get them to the next level. And right now those new farmers are learning about it. I'm educating them uh, with the help of Franco and others to let them know what the program is about and what it, what it entails and then how to enroll. And so we're in that sign up process right now on the new ones. The farmers from last year, as I said, they're, they're getting their certifications together. Now they're having on-farm visits and learning from their individual farms, what needs to happen next? What's the next step? So that's where we are right now. So could you describe to us a little bit about how the regenerative methods are actually being verified on farm? Well, that would be through myself, you know, when uh, most of these farmers I know personally, but it's also through farm visits and checks and looking at their farm plans. All these farmers, you know, they, they all already have some type of a of a data collection software farm management program, but certainly getting into this program and working with the Cool Farm tool, entering those data, assisting with them to enter those data and understand how that fits their farm. I think that's from the beginning, you know whether or not they're, they're qualified and, and, and can hit the goals to start. And certainly they have to hit the minimum criteria from Regen Agri to, to get the certification. But those data are brought together. We look at their farm plan. We look at what they have and then where do they want to go? And so that's pretty much how it's verified. It's just from that's from me when I make farm visits. But then also, of course, uh, with Region Agri and, and also with the control union verifier coming out, uh, they need to look at look at their farm plan and look at what they're doing and make sure that it's verified. And in terms of going back to the point that we were talking about earlier around traceability, I'd be interested in both of your perspectives on how this current program that you're in has worked to improve traceability and, and shorten that supply chain between farmer and, and brand and, and also perspective on whether or not that's something that could be sort of broadened out across the fashion industry. Yeah, look, it absolutely has helped us. I think what we, we what we also are not doing is trying to disrupt the supply chain, right? So currently, like, 
spinners don't buy from farms. They buy from someone who the farms sell their cotton to or who's representing the farms. And we didn't want to break that because it, there's a lot of reason for, those, for that being the way that it is. But what we've been able to do is form relationships with all three of the bodies, right? So we've got the farm, we've got the spinner who's agreed to buy the bales, and then we've got the merchant who's actually physically selling and shipping the bales. And so we have visibility to all. Um, in the U.S., all the bales have barcoded stickers, so you can easily trace each bale, and that's what we're looking for. So then with the spinners that we've nominated to be a part of these pilots, they are implementing processes where they can trace the bale through the process, right? And when you're making yarn, no spinner just uses a single source. They mix and blend yarns, right? So it's very complicated. That's why it's so complicated to trace it. So they also have committed to tracing the other cotton you know, inputs that they're going to be using through their supply chain. And it's very complicated. It's very manual right now, but we see a lot of opportunity for technology, things like blockchain to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, but it certainly has absolutely opened it like a whole the door up for us to be like, oh, we understand now how this needs to be. And, and we've got a lot of spinners that we work with that are really excited about it because it is disrupting the industry a bit and really thinking about just approaching it differently without making it difficult for all the parties involved, right? In terms of you can still buy from who you normally buy from, you can still have the same process, but we need to like figure out how to trace that cotton through the supply chain. Yeah, it's it's been, I think Liz would agree, you have to over-communicate from the beginning. Everybody that touches that cotton has to be involved at the very front. And and that's a big change. I, I kind of, a little bit of irony, I think one of the things that, that's been good, if there's anything good out of the pandemic, is is the ability to do what we're doing and communicate digitally and on you know Zoom calls or whatever they would be if we didn't have that that would make it much more difficult than it has been to to get everybody on board early. Absolutely. And I think I think um, you make a really both make a really good point there about the role of digital and the role of technology in being able to help us to to fast forward on some of these challenges and, and overcome them more quickly. So I'd love to hear from from both of you. What are your aspirations for the future of regenerative cotton, be it, you know, from the farm perspective, from the brand perspective? Yeah, look, I mean, I think it, we talked about it earlier, I, I hope that we're inspiring other brands to kind of get behind these types of initiatives. I think, you know, the farmers are the first step in the supply chain, but often like the forgotten piece of the pie. So it's also really exciting that we're going to support U.S. farmers. And then, I, you know, I do hope that like as it gains traction and steam in the industry that, you know, the farmers can garner possibly a higher price of fiber. Maybe it's not like to their levels of organic, but it's somewhere in between conventional and organic because it does seem warranted. And that's also just a real plus for them and a motivation for them to make that transition as well. And, and for me, from the agronomics and agriculture standpoint, the farm gate standpoint, it's to me, it's just super exciting to see a farm come into the program and we're brand new, but vision, looking down the road with some vision, I can't wait to see those farmers that start this program actually get in what I would term balance when they get into regenerative balance and all of a sudden they're not having to buy any synthetic fertilizers. They're hardly ever having to spray any, any crop protection products. Everything is in balance. I, I was talking to one farmer that, that is already there. And one of the things that you don't think about that made a huge difference is from a labor standpoint, once that farm's in balance, it doesn't take near as much day-to-day work and effort. And so it, it affected his, his uh, labor force. And what happens is he said, Brent, before we, got, before we started doing this, we had to be on the farm every day 
plowing or spraying or doing, you know, doing all these mechanical things. And now we don't really do it. He said, but when we were doing all that, mother nature doesn't take a day off. So we were working all through seven days a week, hardly ever had any days off on weekends, much less a holiday. He said, now we don't work weekends. My laborers, the people that work on our farm, our farm, farm families and things, they are done at five o'clock like anybody else. He said, now I have an issue because all the neighbors want to work for me. (laughs) And that's, that's a benefit that you don't really think about, but it eventually it gets there. And uh, that's pretty exciting. Wow. Yeah. Don't tell the livestock farmers. They'll go to growing cotton. (laughs) Weekends and evenings. (laughs) Right. Just to kind of finish up, I'd love to hear from each of you what um, kind of key learnings you'd like to share from from your process so far of, of engaging in regenerative cotton and, and you know, any any tips or advice for anybody in a similar position? I mean, I'd say, like, you know, we went into it, and Brent, you know this, with a really, like, we thought we had a really strong point of view of exactly what we wanted. And we realized as we went through the process that some of the things that we wanted to do just weren't realistic. And so keeping an open mind and really partnering with the farmers on what makes sense for them is super important. I think as long as we're making a positive impact at something that's scalable, we're still doing like a really a lot of good. So I think keeping an open mind and just learning is really important. And, you know, we've learned a lot about the cotton industry. We've learned a lot about U.S. farms and things that are possible in India are not possible in the United States, right? And so it also is like regional to really think about like, we are, we do have regenerative stuff going on. You know, we're working with different partners in different parts of the world. And we've learned that Every country is different and we cannot apply the same like um, expectations or process. So I think that's also really important to understand. I, I couldn't hardly even add to that. That was just exactly what I was thinking because <laughs> we, without getting into a lot of detail, this has been a major undertaking. And uh, to Liz's point, it's, it's ha- it has to evolve. It has evolved, you know, almost weekly there. You have to pivot and have to make some changes. And, uh, but the end game is all the same. None of that has changed what we're really after. So that, that would be my advice as well to anybody coming in here is you do have to have an open mind. Thank you so much for joining me today for the Region Agri podcast. To learn more on what we've talked about in this episode, please find the links in the show notes. If you would like to know more about how the Region Agri initiative can help you on your regenerative journey from advisory services, monitoring of on-farm data and regenerative certification through to carbon verification, please visit regenagri.org. There, you can also check out our case studies and articles and gain access to our digital hub for free insight and advice. Alternatively, follow us on Twitter at regionagri underscore CU or search for regionagri on LinkedIn. 